You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most urgent topics in the never-dull world of Indiana basketball. This is our 110th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 477th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, January 31st, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Martin takes the shot. This week's banner moment occurred long after the final buzzer sounded on Indiana's depressing eight-point loss to Rutgers on Wednesday night. Feeling deflated after editing the podcast of our post-game show, I received a message from a woman named Lisa who had just returned from the rack after taking her 10-year-old daughter to the game. Her message said, quote, met all the guys, this pick says it all. In the picture, Lisa's daughter's arms are flung around Deron Davis's waist, the right side of her face, buried in the soft outer fabric of his team-issued winter jacket, The left side of her face is visible, revealing a smile that I can only describe as pure joy. Two long arms drape around her, and two massive hands engulf her left shoulder blades, holding her close. Some two feet above, his hair hidden by a cream and crimson winter cap, Duran's face reveals a similar joyful smile. This is not the smile of a player fulfilling an obligation. It's the smile of a player enjoying a genuine moment with a fan. Lisa's message below the photo was, quote, They are all such amazing young men, every single one of them, unquote. And I know it's easy to scoff at notions like this, especially after a seven-game losing streak, but what Lisa said right there matters. They may not have been amazing basketball players on Wednesday night or an amazing team or, heck, even a competent one, but it's always worth remembering that the young men in candy stripes we cheer for are more than just the final result on a scoreboard. And the way they represent our program and university off the court, especially in their interactions with loyal fans, mean just as much as the way they represent it on the court. And I was thankful for this reminder last night. A few messages later, Lisa typed this about her daughter, quote, she loved every second of it. It's fun to watch with her. She just cheers for them without the heavy emotions that I have. She told every one of them they, quote, did great, the innocence and joy, priceless. Now, look, we all know that the Hoosiers didn't do great on Wednesday night, not even close. The players and coaches know this, too. And reason critiques of their poor play were warranted. And Lisa's daughter's going to come to understand this as she grows up. We all do. But how many of us, in our haste to express our frustration and disappointment, stop to consider the frustration and disappointment that the players and coaches themselves must have felt after that game? And how many of us actually did anything about it? Lisa and her daughter did. They stayed after. They made the effort. They spoke words of encouragement. They make me proud to be an IU fan. And the way the players reciprocated their support makes me proud that there are players. Do the guys need to be better on the court? Of course. This past month has been an unmitigated disaster. But I'm happy to see that our players are mature enough to keep everything, yes, 
even IU basketball, in the proper perspective. Because win or lose, when a 10-year-old fan runs towards you, arms out, smiling wide, telling you that you played great, there is only one way to respond. And that's exactly the way that Duran and his teammates did. Okay, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, he is the Steve Peichel of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati. He's the president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club. And he is a world-renowned bracketologist whose nights and weekends are about to start getting a lot busier. It's not Joe Lenardi. It's not Jerry Palm. It is Andy Bottoms from over at Assembly Call. Andy, what is your Bottoms line from the last week in Indiana basketball? Well, this is not... I don't bring up Big 12 teams to to walk away from what IU is, is doing right now. But I thought there were a couple examples in the in the Big 12 and got spurred to look at this a little bit by the Ion College Basketball Podcast uh, with Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander. And there's a couple examples that they brought up of of teams I, I wouldn't necessarily even say in similar situations to IU, but I thought a couple uh, that stood out. So the first is Baylor. Uh, they had some bad losses early in the season, lost at home to Texas Southern, lost at home to Stephen F. Austin, later lost who is now their second leading scorer, may have been their leading scorer at the time. And since then, they've won four or five games in a row, really gotten themselves back uh, into NCAA tournament conversation. And and I think are tied atop the Big 12 as, as we talk right now. They don't have any size. I think they're starting a 6'5 guy uh, at, at nominally at center and had a ton of roster turnover. And it was funny to listen or, or to look through some of the comments from their latest win uh, at Oklahoma on Monday. Scott Drew, their coach, said, we're playing with a lot of joy right now. We're just blessed to catch them when they're really hot. All the guys have picked up their play, sacrificed for each other, and shared the ball and defended. That's the strength of our team right now. If you look at it, it's not just one individual. The best teams have multiple guys who can set up, step up. They're doing a great job playing for each other. And and one of their players went on to say, you want to see your friends succeed, so it really was a team win for us. Everybody is playing unselfishly. And even when I went to their SB Nation site, there was something, I won't read this, uh, verbatim but a lot of it was talking about how balanced the the things the team really was in that stretch and compared to some to some other Baylor teams that were a bit less balanced uh and basically said if you know when they were very reliant on a couple guys if these men were playing great then our team had a chance if they were slightly off it was going to be an uphill battle this team demonstrated that if its senior scores are off the younger guys are capable of stepping up and vice versa Monday proved this team can play and win together without the necessity for someone to quote step up Monday night's game demonstrated their balanced attack from a handful of players who are playing well, if not great, can wreak havoc on the Big 12. The other team is Kansas, who's struggling a bit now with Yudoka Azubuki out. Uh, Bill Self even, you know, put, you know, the, the title of this article is puts the onus on himself to help figure it out and really talked about the way that they're, you know, way that they're guarding Diedrich Lawson now and, you know, the way he's trying to have to tinker with things the way that, you know, they probably wouldn't normally like to be doing at this point in the season. But they have to based on their differences in personnel. And I just think those are a couple examples. There are other teams. Maybe it's not as bad as it feels right now for IU. There are other teams going through struggles or have gone through struggles. Some of them have come out the other side and have played really well. Some of them may not be able to do that. Uh, but I thought the Baylor comments were really interesting, just the the joy that they played with, because that's one of the things that in addition to the lackluster play and all the other things that we want to get on here and, and talk about, the, the kind of joyless nature uh, that has been present on the floor from the team when it, it shouldn't be the case that we take special note of a guy smiling while he's playing basketball at, at this point. And I think we've said that many times where it's like, these guys seem to get excited. And it's like, you know, you, you watch some other teams around the country and there's just that, not that joy there. And, and Archie's talked so much in the beginning of the season about guys needing to sacrifice. So I thought the comments about sacrifice were interesting as well and really 
uh, you know, being unselfish, trying to play for each other. And it, uh, it, you know, I give those stories, I guess, to, to give things that we can focus on as we look forward to give examples that maybe it isn't as bad as it seems. And, you know, we, we may not quite be in the, in the depths of hell at this point that it, it feels like, uh, but that there is, you know, some hope that if guys can really band together, you can turn things around from a season that Baylor picked to finish near the bottom of the Big 12 uh, and got off to just as bad of a start as you would expect from a team picked to finish near the bottom of the Big 12. Uh, and it really turned it around. So uh, maybe there's hope, maybe there's not, but you, you've got some teams that are going through some struggles and trying to tinker with things as IU clearly is right now with defenses adjusting to what they've done. And you've got some teams that have been able to find a way through it by balanced effort and, and really playing for each other and, and talking about that a lot. And hopefully that's something we can see from this team starting on Saturday. And to my right, he is a columnist for the big lead and co-host of the hangover. And he recently sent Andy and I an email requesting that in the interest of time and sanity, we replace the second segment of every post game show by just playing this sound drop and then moving immediately on to segment three. I think the key stretch was the one where Indiana just didn't score for like 12 minutes. We're taking it under advisement. Ryan, what is your rant for this week? It would certainly cut things straight to the chase. Um, you know, I think I think Andy, to some degree, with his comment, is right. I mean, this team just doesn't look like it's having fun right now. And say what you want about basketball being fun, and you know, these practices are not designed for your enjoyment and all that. That classic line from Hoosiers. But at some point, it is a game, and you're supposed to be enjoying playing it. It's not a job. It it shouldn't be joyless, and it shouldn't be something that you know is like pulling teeth it should be fun and right now you see there there are moments where they're having fun but the majority of it is not enjoyable at all for them or as a result for us and that's the opposite of the way it should be there should be moments where yeah it kind of stinks and you're struggling or you get a foul and you know whatever and you're upset about it but in general, this should be something they enjoy and they embrace. And it, it, you look at, I think for a long time, people looked at the Warriors, the way they play. They're, they sort of play for each other. They give the ball up. They make the extra pass because it's fun watching the other guy, you know, knock down a three when he's wide open and all of that. And, you know, these are the things that snowball when you start losing and, and your joy in the game does disappear because let's face it, you know, you can always say it's, it's not ha- whether you win or lose, but you know what? Winning makes playing the game a whole of a, a whole lot easier and and if right now i guarantee you in their minds right now subconsciously these guys don't think they can win any games because they're they've find found so many different ways to lose that right now subconsciously they don't even believe they can win and and that's poisonous to a locker room and they need to figure this out and the only people they can lean on for this are each other and the coaching staff and that's what they have to do they have to turn inward instead of worrying about what we're all saying and worrying about people talking about the coaching staff and the players and who should be here who shouldn't whatever they can't focus on any of that they got to turn to the guy next to him and the guy across from him and figure out you know what do they have to do to turn this around and win it and it can be done this team has talent the problem is that talent is not meshing together well and and these guys are not sort of complementing each other on the court they're all kind of doing the same thing and they all need to find roles that work for this team and and right now they're just not doing it all right well here's what we're going to talk about this week uh some keys to making that game on saturday in east lansing uh, a game uh plus what does the lineup data say about the impact of romeo and Juwan's presence on the court it might surprise you then we're going to talk about three-point shooting indiana on a historically awful pace what's up with that And then we'll answer your questions, all of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. 
But before we do all of that, let's talk about sleep and how a new mattress from our friends at Comfort Option might improve your sleep since they have an in-home service for folks who live in Indy and Bloomington. Plus, they can ship their incredible Alpha mattress anywhere in the U.S. at an amazing price and... They offer a remarkable 30-90 satisfaction guarantee on all of it. And to talk about sleep, let's bring in our very own coach, Brian Tonsoni. Coach, welcome. Good show tonight. Thank you, coach. So before we talk about your mattress, I'm curious. Do you have any sleep rituals that you adhere to each night? Beer, cheese curds, and music. It doesn't get any better. Very nice, very nice. Any others? Various hugs and kisses. Okay. Okay, we'll move on from that topic. Uh, let's talk about your mattress, Coach. How do you how do you feel about it right now, your current mattress? I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I hate it. Well, that's too bad. Does it have a negative impact on your sleep? It's just really disruptive. Yeah, bad mattress can really disrupt your sleep. So do you have any lingering issues with the people who sold it to you? They should be fired. Jeez. All right, well, what if I told you that if you bought a mattress from Comfort Option and you weren't satisfied, they would do whatever it took to make you satisfied with their 3090 guarantee or they would refund your money? It's just getting this old guy excited. And not only that, but since Comfort Option manufactures their own mattresses and delivers direct, they can charge a much lower price because they cut out the middleman. And the excitement is building down here in the man cave. I bet it is. And even better, when you use the promo code ASSEMBLY, either during Comfort Option's in-home mattress store visit or when you order your custom-designed Alpha mattress online, like chat mobber Megan did recently. That may have been the best money I've ever spent. You get $50 off your purchase. Nice. So, Coach, final thoughts on Comfort Option. Are you ready to sleep better? Yeah, that's a big buy. Excellent. Well, go to comfortoption.com and schedule your in-home service or customize your Alpha mattress online today. And remember to use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $50 off at comfortoption.com. Dot com. Coach, any final sleep-related thoughts for weary IU fans? Rest if you must, but don't you quit. Well said, Coach. Can we get some basketball, please? Yes. Okay. Time to get back to talking basketball. Gentlemen, let's talk about this game on Saturday. Uh, I don't even want to look at the Ken Palm prediction. It's probably Michigan State by 19 or 20. They've won every home game this year. No one has come within 16 of them uh, at the Breslin Center, and that was Maryland, uh, who in that game hit nine three-pointers and had an 81% assist rate uh, for that game. So, you know, Andy, I think there's, you know, the assumption is that Indiana's going to go up there and lose, but what are some things that Indiana needs to do? Like, if this is going to go right on Saturday, what's going to have to happen for Indiana, besides the obvious of they're going to have to make a lot of threes? Well, I think offensively, a big thing for me, I, I tweeted this out today, IU had one assist, I believe, over the final 29 minutes of play against Rutgers after having six of their first, you know, assists on six of their first made baskets. And I think when we go back and 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 think about how they were playing at the beginning, there was a lot more ball movement, player movement than it seemed like there was uh, later in the game. And to go that period of time with with just one assist is pretty staggering on a team that isn't really blessed with a lot of guys who can who can take people one-on-one really outside of Romeo to a certain extent, Juwan uh, it's, it's really a struggle to imagine, you know, playing that long and not being able to assist on a basket. And sure. Some of that is just guys not being able to make shots on the other end of the pass. But I think there was a definite difference for me as you look from the, you know, the beginning of the game to the end, I think outside of that, uh, you know, that's really a big one to make Michigan state's defense work, which is very good Uh, on the other end. You know, offensive rebounding has been a staple of Tom Izzo teams for as long as any of us can remember, for as long as he's been there. And IU's really been victimized uh, on the boards. And I wonder if if you won't see a little bit more of some other guys trying to you know bang with Nick Ward and, and maybe move Juwan to the four, uh, potentially. That hasn't been something we've seen a lot this year, but might be worth a shot uh, in a game like this. So I think that's 
uh, you know, that's a, a big one for sure. So if there's one, you know, key on either side of the ball and Michigan state has turned the ball over, um, fairly frequently, their 12th and offensive turnover rate in conference play. So that was an area that IU came out again, kind of a, a tale of you know, two halves or, or two portions of the game where IU really came out strong, forced a lot of turnovers in those first handful of Mer- Mer- um, not Maryland Rutgers possessions and were able to convert that into some points. And that dried up pretty quickly and really led to some of the offensive struggles. So if they can find a way to do that, uh, I, I think those are ways that they can keep it you know, closer than the experts might think and, and things like that. And I think you know, a lot of those things, the rebounding, the the turnovers, and forcing turnovers defensively are are effort-based in, in a lot of ways. And I think the, you know, sharing the ball and the unselfishness that we talked about in, in some of the opening and really being able to rely on one another falls a lot into the assist component. So those are at least a few of the things that if you want to do things well and, and then hope Michigan State misses a lot of shots. Yeah, that would, that would certainly help. All right, uh, coming up on the assembly call, let's dig into a little bit of lineup data now that we're 21 games into the season. How does Indiana fare when Romeo and Juwan are on and off the court? The numbers may surprise you. Stick with us. We're going to talk about them next time. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to participate in our unedited live broadcasts, chat mobbers, or watch those replays, then check out our YouTube channel. As esteemed chat mobber Chad once put it, hearing the stuff in between, you get to know you guys a lot better. Like the time I merged Ryan and Andy's names together and called Ryan Randy. So maybe just you and I will do it, Randy or uh, uh, Ryan. <laughs> Join us live at youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Jared Morris here with uh, Randy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, and uh, <laughs> so you've only been doing this eight years, Morris. It's <laughs> the weirdest slip of the tongue ever. <laughs> so maybe just you and I will do it, Randy or uh, Ryan. <laughs> um, so on the post game show last night, obviously we talked a lot about Al Durham because I, I think we all agreed that he was the one bright spot that came out of that game. You know, two of the last three games he's had 11 points. And, you know, I kind of wondered how his production is impacted by Romeo being on the court because it has seemed to me, and I don't have the data to back this up, but it seems to me, just kind of anecdotally, that his scoring often comes in bunches when Romeo is off the court. And so, uh, Andy, we couldn't get that exact data, but we did unearth a few interesting kind of, you know, nuggets about Al and Romeo on the court together. And then even more interesting was the stuff that you found about Romeo and Juwan. So why don't you hit us with that data and then we can all react to it. Yeah, so I asked the guys over at the uh, Three Man Weave, which for those who are college basketball enthusiasts and want to hear about the college basketball landscape in total, they do, they do a really good job. They have a podcast that comes out uh, typically once a week and uh, have some good content on their site. Did a really good job with uh, previews this year. So I reached out to them and they used uh, Hoop Lens, which apparently is a subscription service. So if anybody has an extra you know hundred bucks to drop on that or so, that's uh, there's some different line of things there. I've heard them reference it on the on their podcast. So I wanted to to get a feel for that. And I don't think it really showed a whole lot with Alan Romeo because I'm not, to be honest, I'm not sure what all information is actually available. So when those guys are on the court together versus when they're, you know, other lineups, when they're not, the offense is about the same. Um, The defense is actually a little bit worse. Um, If you look at when Al's on the court and Romeo is off, the offense is really pretty similar uh, within, you know, 0.02 points per possession, but the defense is a decent amount better. you know, 0.83 points per possession with Al, but not Romeo versus 0.92 uh, 
uh, with other lineups. But I don't, so I don't know whether it was what's not available or we think that something's happening that isn't really happening. Uh, we don't really we'll know that. we watch and, the tape still. And maybe, exactly, we'll get Ryan to watch some tape and then we can, can sort this all out. However, they tweeted out a few other different things. And so I kind of started asking some questions about Juwan and Romeo. They actually t- tweeted one out. Uh, they said that was inspired by me, which was equally depressing. Uh, that uh, the McRoberts numbers on the floor versus off. The offense is 0.88 points per possession when he's on the floor, 1.05 with him off. Uh, And defensively, it's exactly the same. So the, you know, the point was you think, and I think last year this probably would have looked different. You're getting something from him defensively that you're willing to have at least some level of trade-off, probably not that much. But this year, you're having a huge trade-off on offense to not really get benefit on on defense. But that's the kind of information that you can get there. Onto and that the, matches the eye test. I mean, that's we yeah, can all kind uh, of see that. Absolutely, it does. So yes. I'll talk the Juwan piece first, and maybe we can kind of stop once we once we do each guy. Yeah. So the number is Juwan, uh, with Juwan on the floor, 1.02 points per possession offensively. Without him offensively, 0.91 points per possession. So a pretty sh- sharp. sharp. Uh, that was a combination of stark <laughs> and sharp. Uh, drop off there, and the almost defense, as big as the difference with McRoberts. Yeah, almost. Yeah, it's it's pretty surprising. It's it's point one one, and I think the McRoberts one was point one six or something like that. Yeah, and then defensively, with and without him, is within point zero one points for possession. So no real uh, tangible difference there. So maybe we'll stop there, talk a little bit about what that means with Juwan, or do you want me to go into the Romeo stuff? No, let's well, let, let all, Ryan react. Yeah, so the defense is basically the same with Juwan on the floor or off the floor. Yes. Yes, and the offense is clearly better with him on the floor. I think that again that passes, the, that, that passes the eye test. I think that Juwan has been good defensively this year, but I don't think he's a game changer defensively. Probably because he's playing against guys who are bigger and stronger than him. I mean, we've seen him get abused in the post some this year. You know, for stretches yeah. of game, and he has and, to give up buckets because he's afraid of picking up fouls of too. Of course, so it's a combination of that. The fact that he's playing against bigger guys who are used to playing in the post, and he was supposed to sort of be an inside-outside guy who could, you know, maybe help out and and, and get weak side blocks and things like that, weak side rebounds. Uh, but instead, he's being the primary post defender. Uh, so that's not really surprising to me that the defense doesn't really suffer when he's off the floor. It isn't surprising that the offense suffers when he's off the floor. We've seen this team run into a wall when he goes off the floor at times. Uh, and sadly, that means that Juwan's got to play a lot of minutes. And I know that, you know, the eye test also tells us that he's less effective later in games. And, um, you know, he, he, he does get worn down and it's clear. And in this losing streak, there are times he has looked flat out exhausted. And when you're, ta- when you're playing that many minutes, uh, that's going to wear on you. And you don't have a guy like Deron Davis to go down in the post and maybe eat some offensive and defensive minutes for you while you're also on the floor and can maybe relax a little on the offensive end or defensive end doing something different, you're getting beat up every time down the floor both ways. So uh, I, I just think that, yeah, everything that we have, you know, stated there is is pretty much in line with what we're seeing. And uh, cl- it's clear that this team's offense is terrible when he's off the floor. It really is. And when he's on the floor, it's not amazing, but it's better. And uh, defensively, you don't lose much with him off the floor. So one thing I, I feel like I keep bringing this up, maybe because I'm just trying to talk myself into it or other people into it. But what are you guys' thoughts on giving him with the current set of players available? Uh, what are thoughts on letting him play a little bit at the four and giving time to Clifton or Jake? It, it yes. feels like those guys have spelled him 
but he's always been on the bench. And then Justin Smith is the small forward. And if you need somebody to, to come in for him, feels like it's typically been Fitzner as another guy who, you know, again, I guess kind of stretched the floor that, that, that notion. I mean, to me, Juwan can step out and shoot certainly, you know, on a, on a team without a lot of shooters reasonably well. Who do you trust more than even, him taking a three right now? Even compared <laughs> to the other guys. So you can Al, still have really? that. Besides yeah. Al. Yeah. So you could still have the floor spacing because if, if people couldn't treat him the way they're treating Justin Smith when he's playing the four, and if you're just going to have a big guy come out and set screens or do whatever, you're still doing something with, with Clifton. You give some potential offensive rebounding uh, with those guys and just some activity level, and you save him a little bit of work on maybe a lot of work against a team like Rutgers last night on the defensive end where let somebody else bang against these guys. Let somebody else bang against Nick Ward on, on Saturday. I agree. Look, I, I think you 100% have to move Juwan to the four. Um, Justin Smith, I guess you move him to the three. You're not going to play McRoberts as much, I don't think. Uh, have Al come off the bench where I think he's played really well uh, as sort of some lightning off the bench. I, I think that's probably his best spot. Um Right now, I think he's a future starter, but right especially now, if he comes in and subs in for Romeo. Yeah, and and what I would say about the about the Juwan thing at the four, what you, I think the idea maybe was this year was to run him and Deron Davis together. Sometimes that gives you a back to the back at basket post guy. You can put Juwan on the opposite side. That means the help has to come from Juwan's guy. You get him open for threes, or if his guy uh, crashes on the backside to help you dive Juwan right to the hoop or Deron Davis takes a shot. You've got a backside rebound with Juwan. So I think that that was probably part of the idea. I think also along with race, potentially like being able to play some five defensively. And I think, I think also, you know, having Evan Fitzner and Juwan in the game at the same time would prevent doubles as well, because you know, an ideal version of Evan Fitzner where he's knocking down threes, it prevents double teams on Juwan and Juwan is going through double teams all the time and having to find, other guys well if Fitzner is sitting there shooting threes and making threes you can't double off him Um, and and so that changes the dynamic as well so I think that Indiana went into this season with a plan offensively that has just been blown up by injuries and ineffectiveness and it's the job of the coaches to roll with that and figure it out Um, but it is also hard to change tactics mid-season when you've been practicing something all year all offseason or you know running guys through film all offseason on one idea and having to just completely change it midseason is a lot harder than it sounds. Um, and you have to sort of completely change what you're going to do. But I do think at this point, I'm not saying you start the team with Jawan at the four and Clifton or Jake at the five uh, or Fitzner or whoever. I think the ideal would be to maybe have Deron Davis when he's healthy start and play 10 minutes at the five. Uh, you know, maybe start things out that way and, and see how they go. But right now, I think definitely in that second wave of substitutions that comes at about the 10-minute mark, 12-minute mark, you need to start moving him off the five. Maybe start the game with him in the post, but then you got to back him out and give him some room to work. We've seen how good he is sometimes off the dribble or maybe starting on the perimeter and then dribble backing guys down. When the double comes, then a guy like he puts up a shot, then a guy like Clifton or Jake can possibly get that uh, offensive rebound. But yeah, I think you definitely have to mix up the looks you're giving teams right now and you've got these guys on the roster they're scholarship guys you got to use them yeah i think at this point unless the idea is just overtly crazy it it's worth a shot um based yeah. on based on we're what's not going tanking on. for a draft pick let's that's let's true all the tools no in our back. <laughs> definitely true uh so so then to 
switch gears to the Romeo numbers, this is a little bit of the, it's kind of the inverse of what you see with Juwan. So from an offensive perspective, the numbers with and without him are I, virtually identical. I'm sure to some decimal point, they're different, but um, the way they were sent back to me, they're even. And then defensively, 0.93 with Romeo on the court, 0.80 with him. That's off- points per possession. That points per possession, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, again, a, a kind of equal to the difference of what you see offensively with Juwan on versus off is the the same gap you have defensively with uh, with Romeo on versus off. And, you know, look, these numbers have to be taken with a bit of a grain of salt that there's a lot that goes into them. So it's, you know, it's not just to say, like, that Romeo is impacting every single thing, but it's a pretty big sample size after 21 games now. And for Indiana to be that much better defensively when he's not on the floor, you know, he has had some times defensively this year where he's been really good. You know, you think back to the Northwestern game against Vic Law and some other, he certainly played good defense in spurts. But I do think his defense has deteriorated, and I think as he his offense has struggled. Like, he plays defense like a talented freshman. He, yeah. He has stretches where he plays really well. And, and then he has, has stretches where he misses a shot and hangs his head and doesn't get back and, in transition and, and gives and, up and a bucket. Just, yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's maddening uh, because yeah. of how talented he is. I think, I think Romeo, when he goes to the next level, is going to be an excellent defender after a while when he's a veteran. Uh, but right now he plays like a 19-year-old. And and. On that end, and and a talented nineteen year old, so you get the things a talented guy does. You get him doing chase down blocks, and you get him, you know, when he's motivated and focused, locked in on a guy, and really can shut him down. But you also get lapses, and and you get given up fast break points, and you get stupid fouls, and you get the things that you get with freshman guys, and and that's unfortunate. But you had to know that was coming when Romeo was here. I mean. Yeah. He has the makings of being a really good defender, and Archie Miller's right about that. The problem is, is that as his offense has suffered, you've seen his defense deteriorate as well, and that's again something that happens to freshmen. You know, they just they they hang their heads, like you said, Jared, and and make mistakes. And their when their offense isn't rolling, they they lose focus on the defensive end. So uh, that's just so, so. So what if anything yeah, do, you, do you do with these numbers? Because I mean, Romeo's going to play, and you need him on there offensively. Indiana's almost at a point per possession with him on the court. You know, so what do you? What if you're Archie? What do you do with these numbers? It, it's it's kind of difficult because you know, one thing I was going to say, going back to to Ryan's point, was you know, this is part of, and you're seeing this from Romeo on both ends of the floor. He's having to deal with struggles that he'd never had to deal with before and be able to play at a sustained level that he's never had to play at before you know doesn't mean that he didn't play hard in high school doesn't mean any of those things it it only means that the the plays that you have a chance to take off in high school don't burn you the way that taking plays off at this level this competition on a team with a pretty thin margin for error just as a completely different ball game at that point so it is hard to figure out what you really do with him. And I think some of it comes down to, you know, not trying to do too much. Uh, I think that's plagued him a little bit more on the offensive end than, than the defensive end where, you know, some of the shots we went back and forth about this last night. Some of the shots are just four shots and they're not coming from a place. I don't believe, I don't know this of selfishness or things like that. I think it's just seeing a team that needs somebody to make a play and actually making it worse by trying to make a really hard play. And I think some of the times defensively, the overhelping, the going for a block shot that isn't really there is a symptom of the same thing where you're really trying to make a play that you think is going to turn things around instead of making the simple play 
and and making your rotation, making you know, reading the play correctly, uh, and not trying to jump a passing lane that you're not going to be able to get to. And I, you know, I think that's hard to do because you can see the pressure continues to mount on the team and the way that they've responded and how quickly they crater when things go wrong. I think that exaggerates problems like that more than takes them away. But um, I don't know if that's really an answer to your question, but I do think that's one area that you see him really on both ends of the floor, just trying to, to do a little bit too much and, and leaving lanes open that don't need to be there. I think it's worth noting that every freshman I've ever seen play college basketball, aside from Carmelo Anthony and Zion Williamson has hit a freshman wall really hard. And Romeo's hit the freshman wall really hard over these last few games. I mean, he, even if his numbers wind up being okay, he's not playing the way he was a couple weeks ago. And whether that's confidence, whether that's facing better defenders in conference, whether it's being, you know, at the physical nature of the game, whether it's the fact that he's playing more games in a shorter period of time that are more intense games than he ever has. I mean, yeah, you have two games a week in high school, but you know, he was 10 times better than everyone he was facing in high school. So it's just mentally and physically wearing and you have to push through that. And some guys don't get through it. Some guys hit a wall and then just kind of drift towards the end. Most guys are able to figure out a way through it. Right now, he has to figure out a way through it. So, so quickly, should Archie have held him more accountable early in the season when he had these defensive lapses? And should he do it now? Or is the, is the ship sailed on, on trying to do that now I mean, at this point, especially know. when you're so thin? You're so thin. I don't know what you can do. I mean, I really don't. I mean, can you really afford to have him off the court for very long? Um, maybe. I mean, the numbers to... would suggest that it's not as big of an impact as maybe we think. I'm playing devil's advocate here, but these are questions people are asking. I yeah, I don't know. I, look, I I think you have to have him out on the floor and you have to let him play through his struggles because he's that good and he's so far better than everybody on the team that it's not like you can get an equal value with him on the bench. Yeah. Um, no, long I, I term you I, do that. I just wonder, do you need to sacrifice at some point a game or a half to say, look, we're not if if you're going to loaf back down the court after you miss a shot. That's not what we do, and I need to teach you this lesson. And the only way that you're going to get it is to sit you on the bench. And I don't know that that's something that has to be. We talked about this with Coach, whether it was last week or the week before, of how you use the bench as a motivator, even on a, a team with a short bench. I don't know that it necessarily has to be, I'm going to go sit you down for 10 minutes, but after you know two times you, you take a three-pointer at the top of the key, you get sucked in kind of trying to get a rebound, but not, and then not balancing the floor and getting back. I mean, I do think those are, are teaching moments that are hard to do with a guy like that. But I think if you're Archie, you, you kind of have to stay true to who you are and what you, you believe in to a certain extent, even with the player who's uniquely talented in other ways that maybe it's taking him out for a couple of possessions and, and really re-explaining that, re-emphasizing it, putting him back in the game. I think it feels like there should be ways to do that that are, that are that are there without submarining anything that you're trying to do in the game. Yeah, and, and Coach said, I think he did pull him after that play because he was getting pretty frustrated. He put him in pretty quickly after that. But I think on that particular play, he did pull him. So, okay, well, let's, uh, let's move on. Good chat, guys. P appreciate you digging up those numbers, Andy. Um, all right, coming up, it is time to talk about a very painful subject. Indiana's three-point shooting. The Hoosiers are on a historically awful pace. We bring in the shot doctor to diagnose the issue and discuss whether Archie undervalues three-pointers. That is next. Stick with us.
Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. Remember, you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason. And after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis. There's a high-level operation going on out there. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Make no excuses all right, so gentlemen, let me read off a tweet that Alex Bozich sent out earlier today. He said, how bad is Indiana's three-point shooting at the midway point of league play? <clears throat> Brace yourselves. Indiana is shooting 25.3% from deep in Big Ten play. In the Ken Palm era, so that's since 2002, no team has ever had a three-point shooting percentage in Big Ten play lower than 26.5%. So the Hoosiers, by more than a percentage point, on pace right now to be the worst three-point shooting team in terms of percentage in the last you know, 18, 19 years of Big Ten play. So yeah, we that got, story checks out. Yeah, we, we, we got that going for us. Um, you know, what? what's awful about that is Indiana was up shooting 36 37% there for a while for the first half of the season, and that has cratered precipitously. So, Ryan, we got this question last week. We saved it for now. This is from Bill. He says, a question for Ryan even addresses you and calls you the self-proclaimed shot doctor. Taking each player individually, can you analyze what is wrong with their shooting? Is it bad technique, shot selection, not getting into proper shooting position prior to receiving a pass? He says he believes it's more than just confidence. Give us some insight. Probably don't have time for every player, but go uh, for it. First, I just want to say Jared dubbed me the shot doctor. I did not dub myself that, so I'm not self-proclaimed. Uh, just wanted to clarify that. You did. I never said I was a shot doctor. I would break down shots. That's and- accurate, but all right. It is. Yeah. We, uh, don't, we don't have time left to really hash this out, but... I think Jerry and I would both like to go on record as, as questioning what you just said, but right, well, please continue. So the, the three guys that I, I talked about were Justin Romeo and uh, who was the third one? That I think? Oh, Fitzner. I think those would be the three that kind of okay. are taking most of the brunt of some of the, the questioning and, and looking at that. So those might be the three good ones to hit. Yeah, because you're looking at Durham. He shoots 38.6%. Finnessy, 38.5%. Uh, Jawan, 36.5%. Those, they're not terrible. Those are the only serviceable guys. We won't even hit them. Uh, Romeo Lankford, I I think with Romeo, if you took the three-point line off the court, I think that he would make them because he can take a step in from three and nail them. I think it's mental for him. He thinks from three, you got to put a little more on the shot, whatever. He also shoots a lot that go in and out. I don't think it's a a physical problem uh, with his shot. I think that it is just the mental aspect of he needs more repetition of doing it and to feel more confident from that range uh because when he's not thinking about it sometimes or he'll just like two dribble pull up and fire and not sort of catch and shoot or whatever he's just kind of playing within his rhythm he'll make them and and he did it last night he made a real tough one last night and then i forget who it was against early in the year it might have been northwestern where he went off and maryland it was a maryland Maryland game okay where he just started draining threes at the end, he wasn't thinking about it. And when he is catching it, stepping up, and he knows he's behind the three-point line, you just see him miss them. And and to me, it's not something functional with his shot. I think it's just the mental thing of, I'm behind the three-point line, this is a different shot. It's no different than shooting anywhere else on the court. And you see him with the confidence with which he'll take a step in and nail a jumper from from inside. I mean, his mid-range game is fantastic. Uh, so I really do think it's a mental thing with him. So you can talk about confidence, whatever. I just think it in his mind, it's a different shot. I need to focus more, do something different, blah, blah, blah. Coach wants that, to know if you think his shot is flat. It is a little flat, um, but I think that it's not concern. It's not a concern 
that of how flat it is. I also think his shot is flatter from three than it is from two. I think it's more of a line drive. I think he doesn't get the same lift on his shot. Uh, and again, I don't know if that is a functional thing because of mentally where he's at. Um, but I will say that, yeah, I, I do think that he line drives the ball a little bit more from distance than he does when he's closer in. Um, and, and let's just face it. He's a guy who is known for his driving and finishing. He was never a knockdown three guy in high school either. And now he's taking more contested shots against better defenders. His percentage was going to drop unless he had a precipitous rise this offseason. And, and that clearly didn't happen. Um, Justin Smith right now, I, I tweeted out last night and I'm not meaning to get down on Justin, but if he continues to shoot threes, it's going to put me in an early grave. Uh, the thing is when he's up top, he has a huge hitch in his shot. When he goes up, I've seen him shoot normally most of the time and he has a smooth release, but right now where he's at shooting wise, he rises and he's an athletic guy. And a lot of athletic guys do this. Rod Wilmot used to do this, but Rod Wilmot flowed towards the basket instead of flowing back. But athletic guys, a lot of times will jump and then shoot. Good shots are one motion. You're going up and shooting in one motion. He jumps, waits, and shoots. And I don't know if somebody told him you have to release at the top of your jump or whatever. He's just showing off because he can. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it is, but he jumps, waits, holds the ball, and shoots. And what's happening is, as Rod Wilmot did that, Rod Wilmot was jumping and leaning towards the basket when he did that. And actually, if you have enough athleticism, it's actually a shorter shot because you're moving towards the hoop. Justin is leaning back on all of his shots when he jumps. So he's actually making it harder on himself by doing that, uh, by jumping that high and getting that much elevation. He's tilting. You can see him if you watch. He tilts back when he's shooting. And when you do that, you're going to line drive the shot. It's going to be off to the right. It's going to be off to the left. It's not in rhythm. And it takes, even if you do catch and rise, it takes any of the rhythm away by moving away from the hoop. You want to be moving towards the hoop when you're shooting. You want to be square to the basket and jumping towards the hoop. You should land with your feet facing the basket, both of them facing the basket, and you should be ahead of where you were when you jumped. Uh, so that's what I'm seeing with him, and it's driving me nuts because he's an athletic player. He's a good player. He should be better than that. With Fitzner, I 100% am saying it's confidence, and he's rushing. He's getting the ball and just firing, and and he's trying to shoot. I guarantee you people are telling him, don't think, just shoot. and to him mentally he's at okay that means rush it just get it off just get it off get it off because i'm sure people are telling him hey you just need to shoot more you need to shoot more you need to shoot your way out of the streak blah 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 and he's just rushing everything and and he's missing side to side which is look a good shooter misses short or long they don't miss side to side and he is missing side to side he's way off like a foot off it looks like and he just needs to get in the gym and get out of his head and he does need to find some confidence. He needs to see one fall in a game, which hasn't happened in forever. And, and he just needs to see one fall. And he's the kind of guy, again, we saw it against Northwestern. I forget the guy's name, but he had one go, and then he made six of seven. and Foul zone. Fouled. Yeah, and they got fouled on another one. And that's the kind of guy Fitzner is. He can hit those shots. Uh, the question is, will he come around? And, and I also think with Fitzner, his body is kind of doing some weird things. He just has a slumped shoulder look right now. And he's not really stepping into shots. He's just kind of kind of getting them up. And uh, so he just needs he needs to uh, he doesn't need a complete rework on a shot. He just needs to slow down, do what he needs to do. And remember that he's 6'10". He can get his shot off over anybody that's going to be guarding him on the perimeter. He needs to take his time. He needs to step into his shot and, and he needs to find some confidence. So those are my three scouting reports on those guys.
That was good stuff. Uh, Coach was applauding you. He said you're speaking truth in the chat. So very, very well done. Um, we could probably do a whole show with you uh, critiquing shots. That was that was good stuff. Well, if we want to do it, uh, if Coach has a has a player, he wants me to to critique when I'm down in Indy. We should do a video from the hyper. <laughs> That's it. We should. Uh, so that leads me to this question from Mark, who wonders: Do you think that Archie undervalues the three point shot? And, and Andy, you know, I, I looked at the numbers on this. Um, and I guess the answer that I came to was maybe, but it's not to the extent that he like undervalues offensive rebounds as a matter of principle, where it's, we're going to give up some offensive rebounds so that we can get back on defense, but it's, it's just a little bit inconclusive with the data that we have because he's had two really bad shoot three point shooting teams at Indiana. So obviously he hasn't wanted to take a high level of attempts because the teams haven't been able to make them, but he was above average at Dayton. If you look at the data, like you know, in 2013, which was his second year in Dayton, they were 286 in the country in three-point attempts, but they were 18th in percentage. As he went on at Dayton the next year, 196th in attempts, 54th in percentage. These are national ranks. Uh, 2015, 74th in attempts, 104th in percentage. 2016, 187th in attempts, 179th in percentage. And then his last year at Dayton, they were 125th in attempts and 35th in percentage. So, you know, kind of hovering there in the middle, and every now and then they would have a season, you know, that was that was pretty good. You know, two, one that was, uh, you know, fifty uh, fourth, one eighteenth, one thirty fifth. So he had some teams that shot the three well at Indiana last year. The Hoosiers were two hundred sixty third in attempts and three hundred seventh in percentage. This year, you don't need me to tell you how bad they are. So his history at Dayton suggests that he's not averse to shooting threes, and especially when he has a team that can shoot it. You know, they'll have the opportunity to let it fly. He's not Tom Crean or Jay Wright, you know, taking 50% of his shots from three. But I think to see how he does at Indiana where he's recruiting at a different level, we're just going to have to wait and see. Like, I don't think he eschews the three-point shot, uh, you know, but it's not maybe it's not the primary part of his offense like it is for for some coaches. So I apologize for the nuanced answer, but that's probably around where the truth lies. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, looking over to the same thing, you saw teams that he had that that shot it really well. Some of those teams where he didn't have a ton of size uh, in the in the couple, in the middle years uh, at when he was at Dayton, they shot more of them because that seemed to be what they could do. So it it feels to me that if he has the personnel to be able to you know kind of trust to take and make threes, then he's not you know close minded in the sense of of being able to do that. You know, it, it's hard to watch this team, though, how they shoot the ball and suggest they should take more because their, you know, attempt, uh, you know, three point attempts per field goal, you know, attempt the percentage of those that come from, from three point range is pretty low. Uh, and you'd be hard pressed to to watch this team and say, you know what this team needs to do is shoot a ton of threes. <laughs> so I, I, you know, in that regard, it I, made I some sense great. when the percentage was OK, but not after the last six games. That was <laughs> a different God. time. Jared. That was a different time. Three, three weeks ago. Ryan, do you want the last word on this before we break? Yeah, I just want to say, I think that I don't think he undervalues the three. I think that is his uh, his basis for his offense is dribble drive, but it, there's a drive and kick element too to all that. And and you're supposed to suck the defense in and find the open shooters. Well, now nobody's afraid of any of Indiana's open shooters. Maybe Al Durham. That's about it. You'd rather have Jawan Morgan shooting a three. You'd rather have Rob Finnessy shooting a three instead of getting into the teeth of the defense and dishing out an assist. You'll take those guys shooting threes. Other than Al Durham, there's nobody you really need to close out hard to uh, right now. And uh, maybe Finnessy as he gets back, maybe that's another guy you have to close out hard to. But if you if that's not a weapon for your team, then that sucks the defense into the paint 
And when you do have driving lanes, they're clogged and, and it quickly. And, and so I think that that is what we're seeing that is so different from this team that started 12 and two early in the year. Indiana was at least a threat from distance and, and the numbers bear that out. They had, they shot a much better percentage as they have fallen off the cliff shooting wise. They're just teams are just daring Indiana to shoot because of how bad they are. And you saw it. It was never more crystal clear than the other night against Rutgers where they had three guys have three wide open threes on one possession because Demise Anderson was fighting for rebounds and they missed all three and they were all yeah. big threes. They could have had something to do and they were just off. And, and you could not have asked for three better kickout looks and they missed all three. And, and I mean, there have been Indiana teams in the past where that's like a layup for those guys and just isn't there. And these guys aren't great shooters. And this program needs to recruit great shooters for the modern game. I think that I'm sure after this season, Archie Miller says, all right, yeah, no, we need to focus on that more. Yeah. I felt like we had an amazing conversation on all levels. Thank you, Coach. All right, coming up here in our final segment, we answer your questions, including one about what to pay attention to down the stretch if NCAA tournament hopes completely slip away, and why do IU defenders keep stepping aside on defense? We're going to discuss that next. Stick with us. You are listening to the Assembly Call. We are wrapping up another week of talking IU basketball. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. And we've got a few questions from our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. Andy, let me send this first one to you from JD. What things should I try to watch to keep me interested in our remaining games as we look to next season? I can't believe we're having this question on the final day of January. He says, I need something to focus to help me get through the rest of the season. And let me start the question by saying, how many wins will Indiana need to have any kind of shot at the NCAA tournament? Like, if they can win six more and finish with 18, will they have some kind of shot depending on who the wins come against? What would that make them nine and 11 in the league? Yeah, nine and 11. Uh, I think that's possible. What, one thing that uh, doing bracketology does allow you to do is just see, see just how bad some of the resumes of these teams are. So it's a long uphill climb based on what we've seen so far. Uh, but I know even um, Dave from from Bracketville, who's always one of the best, made a comment this morning about how just how difficult it was to find enough uh, at-large caliber teams. So, uh, yeah, six potentially, because most of the rest of the games are are not throwaway games. They're largely yeah. against teams in the the conversation for the uh, for the big for the big dance. So, are you saying it's going to come down to the Big Ten tournament? Because I'm really not looking forward to that. Oh, that would. Yeah, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to do that to people. This is going to be the year we're going to lose out enough. and then I'm, win the Big I'm Ten gonna, tournament. You said that last year. I know. I always say that. I don't believe it. <laughs> not for the Big Ten tournament. Um, <laughs> no. So anyway, you know, so things I, that you watch I, for the I, development of a guy like Al Durham would be one thing. Yeah. Two two things I would say, and it's really two guys. I would say Al and, and Rob. They they seem to me as we talk about leadership void, those kinds of things. Those two seem to me to be the big candidates who can step up and fill that. And so, how do they jumpstart that by their play down the stretch of the season that may or may not lead to you know postseason play? So, Ryan, last question from IUDSW. He wonders, why is nobody calling Evan Fitzner out for getting out of the way when players drive to the basket? Uh, he says it's extremely frustrating. Here's what I would say. Because everybody does it. When was the last time an IU player took a charge on a guy driving down the lane, which happens to us all the time? 
Can you even remember? So that it's not a Fitzner thing. It's an entire team thing. I yeah, think. and that's weird because last year they took charges. I, I think it's it's a team-wide thing. Archie is definitely a guy who's going to tell you to play defense, and if a guy runs into you, take a charge. I mean, that's he did it when he was playing. Uh, I don't know what that mentality is right now. It feels like a defeatist mentality. But again, this team looks defeated a lot, so maybe that's it. I don't know. We don't have a good answer for that. Yep. All righty. Well, that will do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us in the chat mob at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 so that you can join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll be back Saturday early evening uh, after the IU-Michigan State game for the postgame show. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing and so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the assembly call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating. And so many of you have donated and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Do you guys want to take one or two more questions, or do you need to run? I'm, take I'm, fine. I'm fine with doing a couple. I can do um, one. i got to get to work. Okay, because we had a couple of other ones. And I'm we'll, fine with we'll doing keep... one more than Ryan, just so that okay. I can beat him out. That's yeah. it. Go ahead, buddy. <laughs> um, okay, so... Okay, Sally's question, I kind of looped into that other one. Um, okay, so here's yeah. one Here's one for you, um, Ryan. So this is from Bob. He says, <laughs> a Coach Knight reference. A lot, a lot oh, of Coach great. Knight references recently. Coach Knight also, always... from, also from Bob. Anybody else find that interesting? Who knows? <laughs> Could it be from Bob Knight? Can Bob Knight use a computer? We don't know. Would that, would that be the funniest thing if he was just like trolling our private community? Would it surprise you at all? If Bob Knight could get into Mighty Networks and navigate a Mighty Network, that would be that would be really impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's anyway, probably sorry. it's probably Pat doing it, but uh, um, all right. Anyway, continue. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> All right, so Coach Knight always used to say that it was not about confidence at all. It was really about concentration. He constantly said confidence was overblown. Archie is constantly talking about confidence or lack thereof. Would love to hear your all's take on this based on what RMK used to say. Well, I think when you have a lack of confidence, part of the reason is because you got a lot of things in your head, which means you're not concentrating, which means your eyes are on different, your your head's on in, uh, you know, not screwed on straight. You're thinking about, well, if I shoot this, do I have to put a little more, or a little less on it? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? And you're not thinking about your defensive assignments. You're not thinking about, you know, you're not focused on the right things. You're focused on all the things you're doing wrong and not the things you're doing right. So I think it's, I think those things go hand in hand. I think if you're confident, you are locked in and focused. You hear about, you hear about that with guys about like being locked in and being in the zone and all that stuff. 
that's just another word for concentrating. And, and mm-hmm. it's just the level to which you do it. And I, I do think that when you have a lack of confidence, there's so much going on in your mind and you're not just playing basketball. And, and so I think those things do go hand in hand. And um, I think a guy like Evan Fitzner, it's not that he's not paying attention. It's that he's got so much going on in his head that he's basically like a, you know, he's like a zombie out there. He's sleepwalking. And, and it's not that he's not trying. It's that his head is so screwed up that he's just not focused on the right things. And I think that has a lot to do with it. By the way, fantastic I, I chat mob moment as that dude and Jamie simultaneously typed in Bob Knight, big fan of the show. Nice. The only other thing that I would say, I think sometimes the whether it's the confidence and actually plays a role in making the shot, I think it plays a role in taking the shot and the way that you take the shots versus some of the ones it, it's, you know, I, I saw somebody, Jared, I think was going back and forth with you on Twitter, actually in a positive way, unlike some of the others. Um, but, uh, about, you know, being at the game and like Archie really got into Fitzner about one of the shots. And then after that, he was really hesitant to, to shoot the ball. And so I think some of that is the confidence. It's, to even it's, take, I mean, it's visible yeah. to take the shot. And then, you know, Justin is the same way. I think I felt he feels at times when teams are backing off of them. It's not necessarily like I'm taking the shot because I think I'm going to make it. I'm taking the shot because I feel like I have to, uh, I think there's a little bit of that. All right, I'm uh I'm being summoned. I don't think bedtime went very well, so I'm gonna have to go. Okay, I got, all right, guys. I got I got to cut all this right. out early. Um, all right, that's it. We're done. No more questions. <laughs> I'm out. That's it. Every, everybody's out. Sorry, I got, I got to cut out of here quick. But uh, dad dad duties are calling here. Later, guys. All right. So all right, everybody. Um, we'll see you this weekend for Michigan State. <laughs> yeah, and it'll just be me and Ryan because Andy is leaving us high and dry. Thanks, Andy. Yep. Yeah, hey, my daughter's team has a game that they should be able to win. So I'm uh, good. We don't want to miss this. <laughs> well, Good. Yeah, I'm not so that. sure. Want, well, it's the second one of the day, and I don't have a great feeling about how the first one's going to go. So, yes. <laughs> good to know, Dad. Okay. Ben, I'm not coaching. They played the team before. She's well aware of the situation. It's fine. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Gotta go. See y'all. See you guys. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.